It's my privilege now to turn to God's Word as we prepare for the sermon this morning. We turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A couple of weeks ago when I was last here preaching in the morning service, I did read these verses as part of the scripture lesson then, but we'll be reading verses 45 through 49 again this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49, as we consider more carefully what it means that Christ is the last Adam. So this is God's holy word as he inspired the Apostle Paul to write. So let's attend with reverence to God's word. First 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 through 49. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual... The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that Christ indeed has come to be our covenant representative, and as we now consider this portion of your word, we pray that our minds would be enlightened, that we would be growing in Christ-likeness, that all things that we say and do and think would be done to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time, as I was preaching here at the morning service after an unexpected break last week. Uh, We considered the logic of the doctrine of resurrection. One of the points that we hit was that that of the example of Christ. Christ is the prototype who uh, has died and risen to glorified life. So he's the prototype of everyone else who will die and or who has died and will rise to glorified life. No longer subject to sin, to pain, death, or corruption. In offering Christ as the first example of a human being resurrected with a glorified body, Paul calls him the last Adam. And I promised two Lord's Days ago that we would dig more into the meaning of that expression, the last Adam. In order to do so, we'll consider two main things. One, the nature, the person and work of the first Adam. And then, by way of comparison, number two, the the person and work of the last Adam. So first, let's deal with the nature of with the person and work of the first Adam. A, he became a living being, Paul says. He says it in verse 45, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. So we read in Genesis 1.27, So God created man, the Hebrew word there is Adam, Adam, in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Remember, the Hebrew word Adam is not only the personal name of our first father, but it is the name of the whole human race descending from him. It's the word that means human being in Hebrew. And then chapter 2 of Genesis, as we read most of that earlier, fleshes out that creation of man and woman for us, of male and female created in God's image. Tells us that the male was created first, but before that we're told in Genesis 2, 7, and the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Later we'll see that the woman was created from his body. So Paul expresses uh, this when he says, uh, it is written, he's referring us to a scripture, in that case really Genesis 2, verse 7, Adam became a living being. So that's going to be important here in making our distinction when we come to talk about what's the difference between the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam became a living being. B, we read that he was made of the dust of the earth. We just read that also in Genesis 2, 7. God formed him of the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Paul writes at the beginning of verse 47 here that the first man was of the earth. In the first part of verse 48, as was the man of dust, so are those who are made of dust. The first Adam was made of dust. C, he was the federal head, the covenant representative of everyone who is in him. In this case, that means the whole human race. You and I are Adam also, as he was. We're his descendants. We received our nature from him. That's the first part of verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, God placed him in the Garden of Eden, as we read in Genesis 2. He placed him on a probation, as it were telling him that he could eat of any tree of the garden, but not of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were part of the creation that God declared very good in Genesis 1.31. So we know that, that, we're, that they were rather unbroken and sinless when they were created. But before Eve was made... The Lord put Adam under this state of probation, a time of testing. Notice how his words clearly show that it was possible, even though Adam was good in his first creation, it was possible that Adam, although as yet without sin, could choose to disobey God. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. As the first human being, Adam is the head of the whole human family. Genesis 2.18 
And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Then verses 21 through 24, Moses tells us, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the first man is created. The the second person, the second human being, is made from his body. So, And then, of course, we descend from them. So we all come from the man of dust. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 13, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So Adam was the head of the household to which the whole human race belongs. As such, he represented us, therefore, before God. And we already talked about how that's a good thing even though he failed. Because if we can't have a covenant representative, then each one of us would have failed eventually, and we would have no hope of a covenant representative taking our place and saving us to be our redeemer. But as our covenant head, as our federal head, Adam represented us before God. And as our representative, he failed He fell into a state of sin and misery. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We don't have time to to dig into all the the important things we're learning there. But just note that, that Satan's favorite or earliest tactic, the one that he's continued to use, is to get us to doubt the word of God. Did God really say that? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. We could read that Hebrew there as her husband who was with her, and he ate. In the following verses, we see that the fallenness already manifested immediately after they ate the forbidden fruit. As they attempt to hide from God when he comes physically and to walk in the garden, they attempt to cover their shame with the paltry covering of fig leaves. As Adam casts blame on his wife and even on God for making her in the first place. Why did you eat this fruit? Well, the, the woman which you made and gave me, she tempted me. Then in verses 17 through 19, after the Lord has Past judgment upon the serpent and the woman, we read this. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, 
Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And in Genesis 5, verse 5, we read, So all the days Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Even if we could have lives as long as people before the flood, as they're recorded in Genesis, 930 years for our first father, he'd still be mortal. And he died. That fallen, miserable, and mortal nature he passed on to all of his posterity. He was our federal head, our covenant representative, and he fell. And that's reiterated as you continue through Genesis 5, with all of the descendants of Adam and his son Seth, except for Enoch, who was translated out of the world, instead of all of them, and he died. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.14, Adam was not deceived. Adam knew exactly what he was doing when he fell. It's not a compliment that, that Paul says that the woman was deceived, but Adam wasn't. She at least has the, the excuse that she was deceived. He can't use that excuse. He knew exactly what he was doing. In Genesis 3.6, Moses tells us Adam was with Eve while the serpent tempted her. He did nothing to stop it. He was not deceived as she was. He chose openly to disobey God. And so he passed that fallen, that disobedient nature onto all of his progeny. The whole human race. Genesis 4.8 illustrates the fallenness of Adam's children. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Genesis 5.3, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Seth was in the image and likeness of Adam. Seth inherited Adam's nature, which was long since fallen and sinful, though that also indicates that there's a covenant relationship with the Lord there. And it's also there that we find that in the days of Seth and his son, men began to call upon the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh, knowing the name of the covenant Lord, that means God must have revealed it to them. But nevertheless, they were fallen, they were sinners. As Genesis 5 goes on, we find that Noah is the descendant of Seth, who was inheriting the same image, the same nature of Adam. And because of the flood, all of mankind today is descended from Noah. So we too share that fallen sinful nature. There's no way to escape it. It's not as if to say that there are those people over there who are descended from Adam and they have a fallen nature, but then there are these people over here who aren't. No, we're all descended from Adam. Romans 5.14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. That's speaking of Jesus there, but 
In Romans 5.17, by one man's offense, death reigned. And in Romans 5.19, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So that's the nature of the person and work of the first Adam. He was made in the image of God. He became a living being. He was made from the dust of the ground. He was the federal head of the human race, and he failed. Therefore, the penalty for his failure, a sinful nature, misery, and death, passed to all of his descendants. But now we get to hear better news, the good news. Let's consider by comparison, number two, the nature of the person and work of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. We're not going to talk about all of his nature as being both God and man here at the same time. But we do see a little bit of that here in what Paul has to say. First of all, we see he is the giver of life. So Adam was given life. But Christ, the last Adam, is the giver of life. He's not merely one to whom life was given. He's the very creator. Verse 45, And so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, you might notice if you look at your New King James Version that the became referring to the life-giving spirit there should be italicized. It's not actually there in the Greek. It's probably better to understand the verb to be implied there. It's not only that he became a life-giver, though we can see how in his status as a man, as he fulfilled his mission he was raised from the dead, He certainly became a life-giver in that sense, too. We'll come to that in a moment. But he always was the life-giving God. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. John 1.4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He didn't receive life from outside of himself. He is life. He possesses life of his very nature as God. Nevertheless, he in his human nature proved perfectly faithful to God, and so death could not hold him. He's the Holy One of God, as we saw earlier in in 1 Corinthians 15, as we discussed relative to Psalm 16. He's the Holy One of God, and therefore, being the Holy One, he could not see corruption. He could not remain dead. In his resurrection, he conquered death. And so Christ is risen as the first fruits, as we saw earlier in the chapter, of those who will rise from the dead. All in Christ shall be made alive. So he's a life giver in that sense as well. We will receive, as we saw last time, as we'll see next week, Lord willing as well, bodies fit for God's holy presence, just like Christ has received in his human nature. And so in his spiritual body, in his glorified body, suitable for God, he is now the one who has secured that same status for his people. They too will live in a glorified state in the world to come, with bodies suitable for God's glorious presence. John 6, 35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In John 6, 47, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. 
In John 6, 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Jesus is not merely a created being. He is the creator. He is not the receiver of life merely. He is the giver of life. Both as God and as man in his fulfilled role as the Savior. B, he is not a mere man created from the earth, but he is the Lord from heaven. Verse 47, the first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. John 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the man from heaven. Jesus is the Lord from heaven. C, he is the federal head of all who are in him. So, yes, Adam was the federal head of everyone in him, the whole human race, but Jesus also is the federal head of all who are in him. And look at how he handled that federal headship. He was tested not in a cushy garden, we might add, but in the wilderness. Yes, I think it's, it's meaningful that when he spoke those words, not my will, but your will be done, he also was in a garden at that time. But his time of temptation before his public ministry really hit hard when he was in the wilderness and not at ease in a garden where everything was provided for him. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I could say that's Matthew's understatement, isn't it? He had to have been, as Moses was, sustained by God for those 40 days and 40 nights. But certainly he was hungry. Matthew goes on and says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's a way of saying, of course he's quoting scripture too, but it's a way of also saying, I'm going to obey God before I, before I listen to my, my body. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now he's quoting scripture. The devil too can quote scripture and twist it to his own ends. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And indeed, not only that time in the wilderness, but his whole earthly life was a test. Hebrews 4.15 says, For 
We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 5.8 Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He's the head of God's family, of the people God has claimed as his own. He represents us as a high priest and as a king also. Galatians 3.26 For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.19 Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Colossians 1.18 And he is the head of the body, the church. So Jesus is the federal head, the covenant representative of God's people. He succeeded as such where the first Adam failed. As we saw just now, he resisted Satan. He resisted those temptations successfully. Romans 5, 18 and 19, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. In Matthew twenty six thirty nine, Jesus demonstrates his perfect obedience by saying to his Father, "Not as you will, but or not as I will, rather, but as you will. Not my will, but your will be done." He is our federal head. Passes that perfect nature onto all who are in him. Verses 48 and 49, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Notice that's future though. So if you're noticing, well, well, why am I not perfect now? Well, there's this is a promise for the future. There has been a change to your nature, and it's a real change now, but there is a future fulfillment and consummation of it yet to come. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold all things have become new. As we saw back in verses 21 through 23, for since by man, or really we could better read that as we noted back then, a man, For since by a man came death, by a man also came resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ's at his coming. Romans 8, 28-30 And we know that all things work together for good to those who who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Adam was created and given life by God. Jesus is the giver of life. As God, he is the very creator. As man, he has earned redemption for his people, conquered death for them. 
and given them everlasting, glorified life. Adam was made from the earth. Jesus came from heaven. Adam failed in his federal headship, casting all that he represented into a state of sin, misery, and death. But Jesus succeeded in his federal headship, earning salvation, redemption, restoration, and glorification for all, for all who are in him. So the exhortation today is simply that, trust in the last Adam. Trust in Jesus Christ, and you will have glorified life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Christ has overcome where we have failed. Grant that our faith in him may grow and that we may show that we now share the nature of the last Adam as we learn to die into sin and live more into righteousness. For we pray in his precious name. Amen.